Have you been shadow banned by the liberal media? Free market got you down? Do you get ratioed on every Twitter post because of your shit takes on literally everything? Then producer Dave and HK are probably watching your three-hour dissertation on how a tomato cannot possibly be a fruit because gender and critical race theory can be cured with ivermectin. The Intellectual Dollar Tree, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific. Please leave it a one-star review on iTunes. Check out the rest of our schedule at ecoplexmedia.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media for beautiful food and inspiration. Yeah. Uh-huh.
everybody. <clears throat> Welcome to Down Ballot. We do the show live every Friday now at 7.30 p.m. Pacific right here on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Echoplex Media. I like to support this project at patreon.com slash Echoplex or because Fourth Wall just keeps bringing the heat. You can also go to eplex.store and subscribe. There's a $5 and a $10 level there. In addition to the same content you'd get on our Patreon, <clears throat> you also get discounts in the for all of our merch when you sign up there. So <clears throat> if you're a current Patreon subscriber and you want to move over there, just go ahead and do that. If you are a Patreon subscriber and don't want to move on over there, just shoot me a message on Patreon and I will, in fact, get you a discount code. But uh, we'd really prefer you uh, support us over there on Fourth Wall because we'd like to keep everything in the same place and because Fourth Wall is delivering the goods on the merch and they're putting some stuff together for uh, music artists too. So any music artists out there that are interested, uh, hit me up because we're a partner over there at fourth wall and I can get, I can get you some perks if you sign up with my link. Anyway, I'm producer Dave and you can find me on grinder. What's up. This is the councilman. You can find me on Twitter. If it's still there at T H E underscore councilman. And um, I can certainly get you a discount at like Western appliance maybe, but I don't know about <laughs> anything else. Uh, you know, maybe if you want like a new toaster oven, I, I, I'm your guy. Um, I'm also creeping up around City Hall. Um, there's some really important uh, stuff going down over there that y'all should be paying attention to, even though it doesn't make it into the, the video news lately. <laughs> uh, but you should still be paying attention. So uh, we'll try to bring you some some uh, City Council uh, open forum uh, from the coming weeks when it's going to be really, really t tasty. But welcome back, Producer Dave. It's been a, a, a glorious two weeks. We had a week hiatus for the first time in a while. What did you do when, uh, with your Friday off? Um, I just waited till nine and started the stream and did conspiracy bingo. Dude, that sounds great. It was great. <clears throat> it was great. We had a good time last week on conspiracy bingo. I'd probably nice. drank half a bottle of vodka, so I couldn't tell you what we did during conspiracy bingo, but I, it was, it was great. It was great. The metrics the next day told me so. Is it like a drinking game? I mean, or is, is drinking the bottle of vodka is sort of like, you know, par for the course? No, I think it was just that I was up late. I don't even think I actually got that intoxicated. I just think that, like, you know, you space your drinks out over time, but over enough time, you're going to drink a non-insignificant quantity of alcohol. Truth, truth. Um, so did anyone bingo? That's the big question. Uh, <clears throat> we've been actually getting more and more people posting in the bingo parlor, and I do believe, I think somebody almost blacked out their bingo card last week, actually. My goodness. How many spaces? It's like five by five. And the okay, middle one's 20. a freebie. So like, tw 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 I'm at 25. Is that 25? That'd be 24, not counting the freebie. Well, well yeah, with the, not counting the freebie, of course. Ah, we'll give everybody that freebie as a mulligan, actually. It's the center square. There you go. Like like Fair Hollywood enough. squares, but right. not. But there's no celebrities. Unless, unless, you count Madison they... Star, unless you count Madison Star Moon as a celebrity. <laughs> and on Wheel of Fortune, they give you the uh, punctuation, like the hyphens and the... the you know, the apostrophes. There's a whole thing with that that I don't think you're you're aware of. <laughs> of with Wheel of Fortune? No, with um with hyphens and and ellipses and shit. Oh, what am I? Is, is there something I should know, or is it for a different show? I mean, it's a thing called quantum grammar. This guy, I'm sorry, Colin Russell hyphen J Colin Gould has uh, his own particular legal language that he teaches people, and apparently it gets you out of um. I don't know, having to follow the law and he charges you thousands of dollars for courses on it. And so of course we make fun of him on conspiracy bingo. I, that sort of sounds like every attorney, right? <laughs> well, no, this guy's not an attorney. Oh, I see. This well, guy's somebody's fail just... son. Oh, interesting. So he just gives tips. Yeah. And I mean, not for nothing. He gets, he has a, way more patrons than we do. 
Well, if he's getting you getting people off scot free after doing stuff, then you know he's must be have something going for him. I don't think that's what's maybe. Go- I don't think that's what's going on. I think it's all these squeaky clean motherfuckers that go in there and just want to know something. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if he has like a like a win loss rate or anything like that having to do with the courts because I'm not giving him any fucking money to get the the exclusive content. And well, you know what? I'm I definitely know one person who could certainly use his help. Oh, is it the Cameron. is it the office manager for the San Jose Police Union? Yes. That's exactly who it is. And we're going to learn all about why from NBC. Police union office manager turned accused drug trafficker will appear before a federal magistrate today. It is a case that has rocked the San Jose police community. Today on the base, Chris Sanchez, live for us at San Jose's Police Officers Association. And Chris, you're the only TV reporter that has actually sat down with the union president. Yeah, the union president really was kind of beside himself. He wanted to make clear that this woman is the only one accused in these uh, allegations by the federal government. But he also wanted to get out the message that this is not a reflection on the San Jose Police Department and its officers. Many of those officers shocked. They say they feel betrayed and they are angry. This has been the grandma of the POA. I mean, we, this is not the person that we have known. The person we've known has worked with fallen officers' families to help them. Um, when we have a fundraiser for an officer's child, uh, she would help get that organized and, and in place. And so this is just not the person that we've known for well over a decade. 64 years. Oh, should I bought heroin from her? Was the union's office manager. Her official title was executive director, but she did work as the office manager, and she will appear before that federal magistrate today on those charges of drug trafficking. The federal complaint alleges that Segovia had 61 drug shipments mailed to her San Jose home from Hong Kong, Hungary, India, and Singapore. She then distributed them by mail, allegedly to other states. In complaint number 44, Segovia's phone number is linked to an Alabama man who died of a drug overdose in 2022. In another line, a chat with someone in India, she says she's sorry for a delay. She had 50 new officers starting today. Now, Segovia <laughs> used the union UPS account at times and a union email in some of her transactions. But oh, no. says that as office manager, she had no decision-making power and no access to the union's finances. She is now on leave and under investigation and will likely be terminated pending the outcome of that investigation. It is unclear at this point whether Segovia was using some of those drugs that she is accused of importing and also exporting to other states. We know that these are charges that carry a maximum of 20 years in prison and she is 64 years old. She will be in court at 1.30 this afternoon in San Jose. Our team will be there in San Jose. Chris Sanchez today in the Bay. <laughs> Whoa, dude, that's fucking rad. Yeah, this this hit uh, just was it last night, God, or the night before. It's just, and uh, it blew my mind because um, you know how they always we see these uh, clips about the guy who just snapped or the person who just snapped and like shot up, you know, Walmart, and it's always the same thing, right? I, I never suspected they. I mean, they kept to themselves. They were quiet, you know. They they seem like nice people. Their neighbors, right? They all say that. I know this woman. Like I, I worked um, in close proximity to the POA previously, so I've, I've come across Joanne many, many, many times. I know her too. And I bought some China White from her. 
<laughs> she off- she kept offering me candy, and I didn't know. And now I understand what that meant. I thought she meant the chocolate jar. Um, no, but seriously, uh, uh, and the, the way they describe her about like the grandmother of the POA, that's exactly how you picture this woman, like the grandma, like, like the, he's dead, right? Like he, the, the president who can be just as full of it as anyone else. Like he was actually dead right here. Like she was the woman who organized the, the fundraisers for the fallen officers wives and shit. Right. And the, and the fundraisers for, um, you know, uh, uh, hurricane relief or whatever. Right. Like that's, that's her. Um, and this, there's a lot more going on here than meets the eye. I'm absolutely sure, but it's just it's one of the, another one of the situations where it's the last person you expect, but that's more than likely who done it, right? Well, um, more than and, likely who gets a, away with it for a long time. Oh, absolutely, especially using the the unions like you know email and uh, and internal you know uh, functions. Even if she doesn't have access to the finances, um, which by the way, like I don't know that if she doesn't. Um, she seemed to be the like the only one who had any like. To be honest with you, that's that was that's why it's not surprising because she was the only person who seemed like she had any <laughs> knew where anything was or how to do anything in that office. Honestly, um, the the officers that were there, God bless them, but they're there for like union duties, not for like managing an office. She actually managed the office and managed the whole organization. So no, oh, fuck it, free her, she, free her. Yeah, free Joanne. Um, I I just want to know what the deal is. Like, what's the deal? Like, why? What what happened here? How did the, I want to know the whole backstory? There's like a my I think it was my wife was saying uh, the good wife was saying there's going to be a whole like local uh you know TV movie made out of this like NBC Bay Area instead of doing like a you know investigative journalism report right like they normally do the eight parter they'll do like a they'll do a movie and they'll they got like Meryl Streep to come play. <laughs> Sure. it'll be remember how remember how serial was like the biggest podcast in the land it'll yeah, be all dope yeah. grandma all right <laughs> and who knows maybe she'll be connected to las gatas mom yeah yeah they had to get that shit somewhere right so las gatas party mom like her fentanyl and her you know whatever her drugs were f- funneled to her by by a sjpoa grandma that's that's yeah, how you get that good shit that ain't been stepped on <laughs> so there you go uh you never know who is going to turn up to be the, uh, the biggest drug linchpin in the world and wouldn't you know it it wasn't like the the fire unions you know office manager it wasn't the engine operating no, they run the they run the manager. girls they run the girls no, the was, fire union runs the girls yeah, do we know about that apparently um now this is the police officers union of course is the one where this is happening I, that's that to me just um I just want to know how this got started. Like, you know what I mean? And we'll find out all this like via discovery or whatever. If, if, if the, if they even keep on it too, because this is like a, like a a close to retirement age, like white lady. So I have a feeling the local news isn't actually going to have that much interest in this going forward. I don't know. They, they probably will, but I imagine she might have an interest in just settling at some point and taking like a, like an old lady, old white lady wrap on the wrist or something and walking away and like that way and avoiding like the whole discovery and avoiding a uh, trial and avoiding like any, any you know public, you know, what's, you know, what's amazing about this story is do you, do you want to know who the investigating agency probably was mm. the post mm. office? Yeah. Because she used a means of interstate commerce. Mm, of so course. it was probably the U- U.S. Postal Inspector was probably the the agency that initiated the investigation, or was tipped off, or you know, yeah, if maybe somebody locally was tipped off, they contacted the Postal Inspector. Now that's like the FBI and the Marshals probably went and arrested her if yeah. she did, if she wasn't allowed to turn herself in. I don't even know. Maybe she's out on bail and she's like 
She's she like fucking she, like you can go out on bail, lady, but you can't have a mailbox anymore. You know, how like some people they'd like yeah. restrict their internet access or take away their ability oh, to sure. have a firearm or take away their passport. This lady, this lady, mail. the fucking probation department just came and like like fucking removed her mailbox from her <laughs> resident. <laughs> she just, she just they've removed her from the route entirely. Like they completely right. take her off. Um, like, and then she's got like a restraining order. She can't go within 500 feet of a post office. I'm just curious how all this got started. Yeah, right. That's that's what I'm waiting for. So hopefully it does go to, I mean, hopefully she does try and push it. Um, the police union can be pretty stubborn, so maybe she'll be stubborn. Who knows? But um, I, I would really want to know what happened here and how this began because it's going to make a great TV movie one day. But for now, it's a great lead off on down ballot. There's also almost certainly other people involved locally. Oh, 100%. I, I don't even, I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't someone else inside the POA that was somehow complicit or just turned the other way, right? Well, looking, so, looking, looking the other way, if you have plausible de- deniability, I don't, you, you never know what kind of enforcers fucking dope grandma yeah. has. True. <laughs> so that was leading off. I feel like this, I feel like if that's any indication as to what's going on, we've come back, we're coming, we're coming back hot after a week off a down ballot. What do we have for yeah, winners I, and losers? It was pretty smoking actually. So uh, racists, we have racists. Oh, great. In, let's let's learn about Jose some racists. And, yeah. And they're, they're here to stay. Let's go to the South Bay, where the San Jose City Council is giving the green light to build the largest Buddhist temple in the Bay Area. But the project has met some challenges from neighbors. Some claim the temple just won't fit in. The building will be going in at the corner of Ruby and Norwood Avenues, just a handful of blocks away from Raging Waters Theme Park. ABC 7 News reporter Tim Johns is here with more on this debate, Tim. Yeah, Dan, now this project has been in the works for more than four years and will cost about $25 million. The temple will be in San Jose's Evergreen neighborhood and serve the city's Cambodian population. Congratulations. Thunderous applause after a unanimous vote by the city council approving San Jose's newest Buddhist temple. It's just a pure joy for the whole community of uh, Cambodians. The temple will be located in the city's evergreen neighborhood. It'll become the largest Buddhist place of worship in the Bay Area and will be a new gathering place for the region's Cambodian population. Lena Lam helped finance the project. She says once completed, the property will house not just a temple, but also a community center, a place to celebrate and spread Cambodian culture. It's not just a religion for us, but it's a, it's a way of life. Lam says the community has outgrown the current spaces where they gather, oftentimes temples that are converted from old houses. She tells me the new site will finally give the local Cambodian population... I like how they drew it in like this kind of Art Deco style, too. Like It yeah. looks like they used colored pencils for the, uh, right. for the artwork. I like that. Right. Real home. The function of the, of the temple is to preserve, to teach, and to uh, practice our religion. The project has been in the works for over four years. Over that time, it's run into challenges with several members of the neighborhood who didn't want it to go ahead. During public comment at City Council's Tuesday meeting, some came out to make their voices heard. It's just not compatible with, with the area. And I know, Mr. Mayor, you ran on a platform of common sense, and it's just not common sense to have a large commercial facility in a neighborhood like this. When it opens, Lamb says the temple will take steps to ensure it acts as a good neighbor. She promises it will always be a place that's open and welcoming to all. Everyone is welcome, uh, and it is like that now, and it will be like that then. 
And Lamb tells me the temple should open to the public sometime in 2025. I'm live in the studio tonight. Tim Johns, ABC 7 News. Okay. What do you mean doesn't fit with the neighborhood? I mean, I know what they had. I know what I know about the evergreen neighborhood. I know what that guy means. Yeah, completely. I mean, that and that was pretty much the sentiment of the neighbors, plural, maybe like, you know, the handful that, that came out in opposition to this. Um, so this one actually fits really well in winners and losers because there are winners here. Uh, the, the temple did get approved. The Cambodian population is going to get a wonderful community and cultural center uh, and hub. Uh, and just a few quick blocks from Raging Waters so they can go worship and, and, and celebrate each other. And then they can go, you know, do a water slide and, and sit on a, a, a raft in, in the, the lazy river. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, uh, hello, racist. <laughs> you know, um, I just think that this doesn't really fit with our neighborhood. Um, and love that he referenced the mayor and the common sense line, right? Even though, I mean, the mayor obviously voted for this. It was unanimous. Um, and he would be wise to do so. Uh, but it's just really funny to hear, to hear the, the lone racist who comes out to public comment and uh, name checks the mayor in his comments. That says a lot, I think. I think this is once it goes in, it's going to be a big nothing burger. I think there's like, nobody's going to even like six months after it's there, people are going to fucking forget it's there. hundred percent. It was, we were talking about this, it, this project, um, when, you know, uh, got six years ago, I think it was the first time I'd heard about it. So it's, it's been in the works for a very long time and the same neighborhood complaints. And, and it's, it's even worse than like, that wasn't even the most insidious, like that guy was at least fairly straightforward. I mean, you kind of knew exactly, you knew exactly what he was saying. It wasn't, it wasn't much of a dog whistle. The other folks are like, you know, oh, the uh, parking and people are going to park in the street and it's just going to be too crowded and too much traffic in our neighborhood, you know? And we all know that if this was a church or a synagogue even, or a, you know, who knows, even a mosque, I don't know. Um, it would be fine. You know, it would, they would not incur any sort of neighborhood opposition, especially like a, a Christian church. Um, but yeah, I think because of who it is and what it is, um, certainly brought on most of the ire i think they should the put a scientology complaint. center in the evergreen too they could certainly could use one they definitely have some scientologists down there so i think they could use a hub of their own nobody goes to the scientology center it wouldn't even increase traffic right exactly oh that's a great idea yeah and when they and if you do go you never leave right so. right well i mean eventually they let you leave you have to go to work so that you're fucking when they run your credit card for the next thing right that oh, it, truth. That, that, it, that it clears truth yeah that's that's uh, that's a good story i imagine the vote was unanimous because people to the extent that they heard from their constituents or whatever most of these the stuff was i don't care or it was positive and there's just a few squeaky yeah. wheels showed up at the the city council to be kind of assholey about it yeah well and at the end of the day the the project itself if you just look at it on the, the, the merits of the project against the rules and regulations right they did everything right they they the project met all the standards of the city so it's they there really isn't any legal way they could have uh, de denied it because legally it met all the standards so if they had denied it the you know the whatever the proponents or the people who that nice lady could have sued the city and said oh, fuck you um and she probably would have won too and then got to build their her temple anyway well so, good news good, for good once on good news yeah, for good once news. yeah winners winners everybody um, winners uh and now hope um, potential winners uh you know, or even though they were, you know, it's because they were losers. 
And reparations are front and center again today in San Francisco. African-American community leaders met again to work on a final plan for reparations. Today's listening session was focused on getting more input from black San Franciscans about what the plan should look like. As NBC Bay Area's Tom Jensen reports, it's not just about slavery and not just about money. Powerful voices for members of the city's black community. When I say it's a debt that's owed, that was theft that happened after slavery. Mo McNeely was raised in San Francisco and attended city schools. She Great says hat. the school for black children right? in San Francisco is one of many ways the city can try to repair its history of policies that enforce segregation and white supremacy. We need transformative change for our collective brighter future. Rep only reparations can do this. McNeely said for her it's not just atonement for enslavement. It's also about negative stereotypes, unfulfilled government promises, and decades of taxation without providing equal services, continuing with modern-day institutional racism. Black Americans in San Francisco and across the country were legally excluded from economic wealth-building programs like the Homestead Act, the GI Bill, the New Deal, the Federal Housing Administration mortgages, and that's just to name a few. Glide Memorial Church opened its facilities for the listening session, which was also streamed online. When we talk about reparations here at Glide, we don't focus on the monetary conversation. We talk on we talk about the repair and reparations. And how do we repair generational and systemic oppression against black people and ultimately people of color in general? To really learn about what our history is here and how we can sustain ourselves and move forward. And that could be through education, that could be through health care. There are so many ways that reparations can make an impact on our community. Through public input online and listening sessions like this one, the advisory committee has already put together more than 110 recommendations for reparations beyond monetary compensation. And hopefully today we leave with some more. We can slap on that final report and get the city moving towards what will heal the harm they've committed on us. The committee will use information from this meeting and others like it to formulate a reparations plan. It got cut off in a weird place, but... Um, strange that's good i don't know if i don't know if it's likely to pass but it's it's a good thing that this conversation is um bubbling up again um yeah i got in if you could imagine this i got in an argument with someone on twitter about uh reparations and they were no, like you they were like after the holocaust germany didn't do any reparations i'm like excuse me yes they did then <laughs> they were swift actually good lord and and it wasn't like at the behest of like the um like the allies or whatever, like the new mm -hmm. government that formed on their own did, did reparations. Yeah. S some yeah. of it's, some of it's like, it, some of it continues today. Uh, Mercedes Benz, for example, gives vehicles to Israel as part of the reparations uh, program. Now I don't really, you know, I'm not a big fan of Israel, but like Germany did reparations. And so that person on Twitter like blocked me because of course that's, that's what you do instead of just being like, Oh shit, I didn't know that. You're like, well, fuck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you for giving me the truth you bastard um yeah that it, it's uh very interesting uh to see it bubbling up um now uh, i wonder why um but it's it's happening at the state level too there's a there's talk of uh about statewide reparations uh this is just san francisco and then uh, berkeley unified school district is talking about their own uh version of it so um we'll see what it all ends up meaning um and where where it all ends up going um but uh yeah i'm, I'm hopeful 
I'm all for it. I'm all for it. not just. It's not about leveling the playing field. That's that's a antiquated kind of a, a, a metaphor. Uh, it's really about you know shifting the playing field entirely um, and 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 tilting the the foosball table right <laughs> uh, to make sure that uh, folks who have been system systemically cut out are given uh, theirs and given their opportunity. Um, and also, it was nice to see on the wall the inclusive uh, pride flag, because historically, uh, uh, communities of color have been uh, less inclined to vote for or support gay rights, and that tide on that is changing quickly. It may have already tipped, right? Because most Republicans mm -hmm. are now for gay marriage, but I see a lot of, like, I, I see a lot of uh, people of color on Twitter engaging in the, the pushback against the, the queer panic that's happening right now, and so... That, yeah. That's real good. Right. To, that's real good to see that there too. So, yeah, solidarity, of, baby, solidarity, because it's it's all we got. Because we ain't got the money and we ain't got the power. <laughs> all we got is the solidarity, baby. Yeah, I'm seeing we're seeing a lot of activity in the BIPOC community amongst uh, for for LGBTQIA plus rights. Good, so, good, good to see. Um, and uh, yeah, in terms of uh, what's happening here, we'll keep you posted as to what, uh, what reparations come down the pike. Well, um, but I, I do I do want to point out it looked like they had great food at that uh, yeah. event by the way I don't know if that was like you know full on you know dinner but that was substantial yeah, if that, food if that guy just if that guy just got delivery but it looked like looked like it might have been some right. uh, might have been some uh, ahi poka or something pretty good something good yeah so uh, good on them like better than like pizza or just you know uh, crackers and and uh, soda so. what did you okay. call no I'm just kidding all right let's move let's on to the next talks. story this is dumb this is <laughs> dumb. This is dumb. This story's dumb. This next story's dumb. San Francisco is going to start charging restaurants for having little outdoor seating areas. This is dumb. Losers. Losers. Seven right now for you. We are moving you forward this morning on a long-term plan for what is now a popular San Francisco phenomenon started during the pandemic. San Francisco restaurants are facing an important deadline if they want to keep those parklets operating. Today in the base, Chris Sanchez joins us now. And Chris, for some businesses, parklets really made all the difference in just surviving during the pandemic. Right. So, you know, they sprouted up out of necessity during the pandemic, but now many restaurants want to keep them because customers like those parklets, being able to eat outside. They give restaurants a few more tables to work with and they add vibrancy to the neighborhood. But going forward in San Francisco, there are some changes and you're seeing them right here. Those parklets could come at a price. San Francisco's Shared Spaces program is accepting applications through March 31st. That is this Friday. And businesses will have to pay $2,000 per parking spot if they want to keep those spots as dining space. There is a maximum of two spaces per business. Now, there are some other fees and restrictions, but those are the big ones. When the city first started letting businesses use those parking spots, there were no fees. But again, that comes to an end this Friday. Shared Spaces Program Director Robin Abadakubillo says that many businesses have seen this as a lifeline. The Shared Spaces Program has helped retain and stabilize our small business um, uh, businesses in neighborhoods, and they've also um, allowed those folks to retain their employees and their jobs and the livelihoods. Uh, I think we're seeing indicators that there's strong appetite to continue this public space program. He has many books. To come. 
How most of the businesses participating in the Shared Spaces program are restaurants, but there are a few businesses that are coming from the retail and nonprofit sectors. As of last week, the city had more than 700 parklet applications, almost 600 of which were renewals, which is an indication of how much those businesses really like that option. Yeah. Right, and That's a lot of people too. liked eating outside <laughs> as well. Yeah. So the fees might be reasonable for some of the bigger restaurants, mm -hmm. but what about the smaller mom and pops? So they did want to make sure that there was equity and include in that whole you know uh, equation so businesses that earn less than two million dollars per year will get a break they'll pay about half of the fees oh, of other restaurants okay the so they're taking ones. that into account yeah. Yeah. good deal good thanks Chris good deal thanks yeah they, that, took in, they took it into account that that number I mean it's I think it's all kind of dumb <clears throat> I think we yes. prioritize parking uh, too much, and especially yes. a city like San Francisco should be prioritizing transit and walking and cycling. Yes. yes, they should be making these permanent. They should be the city and public works should be putting people to work and uh, supporting the local business community by figuring out ways to partner with them to make these permanent and uh, build them out and make them safer. Make And uh, restaurants could then trick them out with all sorts of what they call TIs, tenant improvements, right? And make them really sing uh, for what they want to do, and really, and, and uh, hopefully draw a whole new generation of people out uh, to to eat and enjoy commerce in our in our cities. Well, yeah, why not? Good Lord, San Francisco, get your shit together. Oh wait, we're not there yet. Yeah, we're not there yet. But we have a dumb story out of Palo Alto. There's a, I guess they're arguing over trees. Let's see what the fuck's going on in Palo Alto. Well, that trees. sounds like Palo Alto for sure. Well, the goal is to protect so-called heritage trees. But in Palo Alto, the Heritage Tree Ordinance is under fire after some of those trees came crashing into homes during those recent storms. NBC Bay Area's Emma Goss spoke to one woman who says the current heritage tree protections are too extreme, putting people and their properties in danger. Annika and Ray Dempsey have lived in this Palo Alto home for 34 years. During that time, a large oak tree shaded their backyard. Part of it sat on their property, and the rest was on city-owned land. Four years ago, the health of the tree started to worry Annika, so she asked the city for permission to trim it. The automatic answer was, no, you cannot do it. It is a heritage tree. It's part on our property, civil, uh, the city's property. On March 14th, intense winds brought the tree crashing into her yard. It narrowly missed her husband and dog, who had just come inside, but left significant damage to water and electricity lines, fences, and her neighbor's gutters. I was a little upset because I think we could have been preventive in making this tree very healthy. Palo Alto City Council member Greg Tanaka agrees the city should take a more proactive uh, approach and thinks the Heritage Tree Ordinance should be more flexible in situations like Dempsey's. Oh, I do think that there needs to be some adaptation to an ordinance. Last year, the city council significantly expanded the types of trees that are classified as heritage. Residents are still responsible for paying for inspections of those trees on private property, but they can't do preventative trimmings without a city-approved permit. Really what we should do is we should um, have a little more flexibility with, with the staff interpretation of the ordinance so that uh, when there's these kind of really bad cases, we could deal with it. Annika says she wants the city to take action and inspect trees that have started to lean on her neighbor's yards, which she believes should be the city's responsibility. For the people who have a tree on their own property, 
inspection would be a great thing to have. There is currently no upcoming city council agenda item related to the heritage tree ordinance, but council member Tanaka says he plans to bring it up for discussion soon. Reporting in Palo Alto, Emma Goss, NBC Bay Area News. So just real quick, like the wind and storms that we had were unusual recently. Yes. I would, I would, unusual might be an understatement for the strength of the wind. So <clears throat> like a tree, like tree branches falling off and stuff. Like where I live, a tree branch fell and took out a, a section of the fence. Oof. Like, okay, that doesn't mean that like we should just go around killing trees or like messing with trees. These are, these are as as your insurance might call it, which they still call it, which is odd. These are acts of God, <laughs> as they as as you know. And <clears throat> so, unless these high winds, if these high winds become regular, it's going to take out a bunch of these trees anyway. Um. Yep. But those trees grew there in their current state without being knocked down by the wind because we haven't had wind like this to take out those trees. Yeah. And so it's just, it sucks. And uh, I would imagine that someone in a house that looked like that in Palo Alto got themselves some homeowner's insurance, right? Oh, for sure. And you can actually get specific. You can actually get tree falling on your house insurance. Like that, that actually is a thing. I don't think it's called tree falling on your house insurance, but you know what I mean? Tree ins- tree insurance. But uh, yeah, it's just another example of Greg Tanaka and someone on the Palo Alto City Council being reactionary and, you know, using anything as an excuse to to jump in and try to, fuck with policy it probably doesn't need to be fucked with um simply because someone got a bug up their butt some neighbors and uh they want to please those people and run for office again and you know get their vote so good on him good on greg it's not surprising that's him that's that's leading the charge here and i mean there's no problem with going back and looking over old ordinances to see if there's ways you can make them better for the community you might even find ways to make it better for the trees while you make it better for the community it's just that it's just that those those kinds of things where you look over old ordinances should be maybe happening when there's no problem, right? Like yeah, every or, ordinance or just, should be like subject to review every X number of years or whatever. Yeah. Or you what you do is when this comes up now, you put it on the you know the parking lot. Like, okay, we're going to review that when we go back and review our municipal code every, like you said, every X years, right? That's one of the things we'll do, right? We'll check out the tree ordinance. Right. In the meantime, we have more important shit to do. <laughs> Right, I think a lot of I, mean, I think I think a lot of this stuff could benefit from just like well, it doesn't sunset, but it is subject to review every five years. Yeah, almost everything is, frankly, and and you can call for an audit of anything. It doesn't it doesn't have to be like let's go to the mattresses and change the policy now. Like it, a lot of times you can do this stuff without even raising a stink or raising a red flag uh, publicly. Right, you just do it internally and say, hey, can I get a, a memo about what what's going on with this policy and can you give me an update on the data? And then you decide, well, it's, this sounds like we've got a problem. Let's, um, let's explore this a little more. Right. But it's never, it should never be like, I, you know, so, someone, I saw a news story and I contacted the neighbor and now I've got my hairs on fire and I want to make sure that we you know do something. Um, that should never be the way you make policy because it's just going to lead to bad policy. You have to fix it later. You know, we do have, and we do have ordinances around like buildings and stuff specifically for mm-hmm. earthquakes because earthquakes are, mm-hmm. have, wreaked havoc on this region high winds have not so the ordinances around things like trees are generally not going to take into account damage from high winds because it's just not a common occurrence around here 
Yeah. It, and it, don't get me wrong, like it sucks when your fucking plumbing gets uprooted, like, uprooted by probably the roots of a tree. Like, don't mm. get me wrong, like you need to be able to flush your toilet. I don't. Even the rich people in Palo Alto have a right to flush their fucking toilet. All right, but but it's Do not. They, the, though? Do it's they? Not, it's not like it's not the reason that people move to Palo Alto and the reason that it's expensive there and shits all the fucking yeah, so they trees. Can flush their toilet. Oh, okay. So the trees. Sorry, I thought you were going to say it's because they can flush their toilets. That too. That too. But okay. it's also the trees. Like it's it's kind of beautiful. Like that's why people want to live there. Mm. It's like kind of yeah. like a city, but there's trees everywhere. It's like they built a city inside of a forest and left a lot of trees there, and so like it stays cooler in the summer. Um, yeah, there's just all kind of reasons to live there. One of them being the trees. So sorry, sorry, Gertrude. All right, we're going to move on to San Francisco. They are uh, promoting uh, the best and the brightest within the police uh, department, apparently. That's how it appears. Good evening. He was punched and pepper sprayed by a San Francisco police officer. It happened to an unarmed man sleeping on a muni bus. All of it caught on the officer's body cam. Now, that video would have been kept hidden, but because of a new transparency law, it's now public in the public view. Investigative reporter Jackson Vanderbecken obtained that video, and he has the exclusive story. May 31st, 2018. Body-worn camera footage of that day shows how Officer Brian Burke and a rookie he's training handled a routine call of an unarmed sleeping passenger, the driver, once off the bus. Hey, police. Please, wake up. The sleeping man doesn't seem to respond. Hey, buddy. Police, wake up. Hey, there you go. Within seconds, the officers yank him from his seat and into a metal handrail. Stop that now. Let's go. Off the bus. Come on, dude. Let's Whoa. Moments later, Burke twice hits him in the head. Get up. Stop resisting. The officer Whoa, he's not. Stop resisting. Passenger before Burke takes it even further, pepper spraying the man in the face. Oh, very nice. The man falls out of his seat and gets dragged off the bus. He was treated at the scene for being pepper sprayed. The passenger later told medics he'd used OxyContin. This person was obviously in a very deep sleep. We took the video made public under the state's new transparency law surrounding police force cases to the head of the city's coalition on homelessness. Was having a hard time coming out of it and was brutalized in response. Jennifer Friedenbach says the video shows the danger of using police as the primary response to homelessness. The officers didn't seemed to be giving his life a lot of value um, and this was i'm sure an incredibly traumatizing experience for him but she's not the only one who thought police went too far the bus driver too probably this complaint with the city's police watchdog agency writing if the heavily sedated drug user had been a white woman in relatively clean clothes she would not have been hit in the head in pepper spray but Burke later told investigators the man could have been armed. I don't know if this guy has needles. I don't know if this guy has knives. Most homeless people do. What? And that the force was justified. And my partner's sitting there in this little tiny area with nowhere to retreat if he does pull a weapon. So my only option at that point was to deliver a distractionary blow to try and overcome his resistance and prevent him from reaching for a weapon. In the end, the documents released under the law show the watchdog agency referred the case to the police chief after finding the officer used unnecessary and excessive force and set a bad example for the rookie who police say no longer works for the department. 
We always want to make sure that the public is protected, and when they are not, that there is accountability from the systems that are in place. Paul Henderson, head of the Department of Police Accountability, told us he can't discuss specifics of this or any other case, but he welcomes the release of the video under the new transparency law. I don't think we could be as effective without transparency laws. The result of that are records like this that objectively and independently anyone like yourself or the public can log in to see well, what actually happened. Was there accountability? Did something happen? Hey, buddy. So what did happen to Officer Burke? Hey, Documents show the chief found that Burke used unnecessary force and ordered that he be suspended for three days along with mandatory retraining. Get up. But the incident didn't stop Burke from getting promoted to the rank of sergeant in late 2019. The department says while it cannot discuss this or any other personnel matter, it respects the watchdog agency's findings and has been making changes to use of force policies. Jackson Vanderbecken, NBC, Bay Area News. Yo, yo, that guy should have been fired. Yes. Possibly but, charged know, with a crime. Maybe, you know, but I mean, why not make him a sergeant instead? <laughs> That way you can put him in charge of other officers, not just this rookie cop he was training. Uh, what And what great example he's setting, too, for, like, for a trainee. So I don't uh, want to go do off you, topic too too long, but there's a former cop nah. that hung out at um, my friend's restaurant. He does private security now. Um, okay. he, and he, I said, for who? And he goes, I can't tell you. So I presume he's, uh, I presume he knows what he's doing and maybe, uh, you know, but he quit after six months at a police department because he was like not into this shit. And uh, he mm. said that that system will eject you immediately. Unless you're in like a small town like Campbell where we were. He's like, I don't know if I would have quit if I was a Campbell cop because he's like, I don't seem to, that doesn't seem to be what the Campbell cops do, but he mm. was a cop in San Jose and he quit in six months because he was like, we're, I don't, he was like, I'm not doing this stuff. He was like, yeah. and uh, the system ejects those people immediately. Yeah. There is no yeah. good cop because the system doesn't allow for it. You either quit or you fall in line and become a monster to keep your job. It's, uh, yeah, I don't have much else to say there, but it's, it's very true. And, 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 uh, you know, people are allowed to fail up, uh, trash is rewarded. Um, and, uh, yeah. unless, unless someone grows some political balls, uh, not much is going to get done about it, unfortunately. Um, because the police unions still pretty much control the narrative when it comes to you know, who gets elected, who's in charge, and who's pulling the strings. Uh, and we're seeing that a little bit in Oakland, too, as a segue to the next episode here on uh, Winners and Losers. Oh, man, this Oakland ransomware attack. I, this is this, this story. Yeah. This story is we should probably, I should probably maybe do some. Uh, do some digging into this for our uh, tech show. How the tech are you? Because it's kind of right in the wheelhouse of that show. But uh, see what ABC Seven News has to say about the current um, state of play with the uh, Oakland ransomware attack. The Oakland Police Officers Association says the mayor and city officials have stonewalled each of their attempts to get any update on this ransomware attack. A data leak. Yeah, but you can't shoot the ransomware. Mm -hmm. is impacting thousands of employees and residents and now the poa says if they have to they will take them to court and the city's ignored ignored and stonewalled its own employees it's pathetic 
Barry Donlin is the president of the Oakland Police Officers Association. Six weeks after the city's network was hacked, <laughs> they're like, get a stock footage of a hacker. Said, right? I'm sorry, <laughs> we've hoodie. lost all your information inside. But you get a year of credit monitoring. The city provided a phone number to help those impacted. And when Donlin called it, it responds back to all of us. All your information has been compromised. And that's it. He says that's the most information he's got to date from the city. The POA sent two letters, first to the city administrator on March 6th and then to Mayor Shang Tao on March 20th, a week ago. Both attempts to get any update on the scope of the attack, the number of people impacted, and how the city is working to prevent it from happening again. Have you heard any response? No. No. Sent it multiple times. Nothing. And the city administrator? Nothing. Did you even get a response to the email? No. Nothing. I would like to say, Channel 7, you have been our main conduit of information to city employees. But even for us, getting answers hasn't been easy. After five denied requests for an interview, we had to show up at the mayor's press conference discussing housing to get any update on ransomware. But even then, we got cut off. Uh, housing questions? Okay. I do have It is a ransomware question. Can yeah. I still ask? No. Nope. That's already three. So, <laughs> no. Uh, thank you so much. You know, I, I've been very vocal in regards to the different outlets that I've shown up to every single week and given an update. And we've not seen that. We've not seen anything. Donlin says police officers have had new credit cards opened in their name and their social security numbers hijacked, while other employees are saying they can't file police reports properly because the systems are still down. This is something that we have inherited. Not responding to letters from your own employees is not an inherited problem. It's your own. Well, we reached out to the mayor again today for an interview to discuss these concerns and again, have yet to hear back. We did, however, hear back from the city an hour ago saying they, quote, have received the POA's letter and are looking forward to meeting with them. The city spokesperson added they are working to balance their commitment to transparency with the need to protect the integrity of this investigation. So certainly more to come on this, Larry and Dion. All right, Stephanie, know you stay on top of it. Thank you. So. <clears throat> this is kind of fucked up for transparency, but mm -hmm. if anybody, there's a couple people I think in the chat and that might be listening who have worked in InfoSec before, you actually can't put out to the public the measures you've taken to prevent it from happening the next time. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. Very you true. can't be like, what we're doing, none of that. You can't do any of it because whoever fucking broke into your system is listening. Mm -hmm. And this was a very comp, this is, they, I mean, this is not like some random hacker in a hoodie, right? This could have been a nation state actor, could have been organized crime of some some sort. Mm -hmm. it, in fact, those are probably the only two types of entities that could have pulled something like this off. And so you're dealing with like a complex foe who probably has people who are better at InfoSec than the people that are working in InfoSec at the city of Oakland. No shade on the people working those jobs in the city of Oakland. I'm just saying you can make a lot more money going and doing like even just whiter, uh, what we call gray hat stuff mm -hmm. than you will trying to do InfoSec for the city of Oakland or any city. And sure, so or any public agency period. Yeah. So like, it's unfortunate and I do understand that people want transparency, but this is one of those cases where like, if they like start giving out highly technical information, then all they're doing is like making the next attack more likely to be more successful and not for nothing like the fucking police department. They don't have it that 
I don't know, maybe the police department does have infosec people. And if there are infosec people in law enforcement in the city of Oakland or the county of Alameda, damn right they've been briefed on this. You know what I'm saying? And they're probably keeping their fucking mouths shut too because they work in infosec. This doesn't help the people who aren't able to access services and it would be a disaster if it happened here in San Jose. But like you can't just you can't just run around running your mouth about what happened for uh, on your hack. Not only your city, but what about other cities that have implemented a very similar system? Now you're blabbing you're blabbing about somebody else's uh, infrastructure too. Sure, sure. No, they're they're in a, they're stuck in a, between a the proverbial rock and hard place. Uh, can't can't say shit, even though they're doing lots of shit, and that's the worst place to be in for a politician. <laughs> so I don't envy them right now, but it's, you know, they also, you know, uh, they let themselves vulnerable in some way. Yeah. And the, I'm just telling you, they're going to be, if they fucking start opening their mouths about this shit, they're just going to be more vulnerable. And yeah. uh, again, yeah, you, like you said at the proverbial rock in the hard place, the fucking people of the city aren't going to like the answer, but I think the city actually mm. needs to come out and say, Hey, we're dealing with a sophisticated group of cyber criminals. And we don't, we can't actually tell them what we're doing right. because then we're giving away the game. Right. We're I mean, very also, sorry. We're trying to get these services back up for you as quickly as we can. And I would, you know, the, uh, if there's infosec in the County of Alameda or in law enforcement in Oakland, you would just say the, the people who work in this kind of crime, people who work with this kind of crime in law enforcement have been briefed. And they know as well as I do that we shouldn't run around blabbing about what we're doing next. We're, I'm very sorry. Yeah, I, I don't envy. Absolutely. I don't env- listen. I don't know who the mayor is, but I don't envy that person's position at all. Because Shanghai. also, not for nothing, I don't think she. The odds are very slim that she does infosec. Right, that's a very thin sliver of society that has the the knowledge. The, the like no, in, she information. Def- she, cer- she certainly does not. She was a councilwoman before, and she uh, she rose to the power on you know ranked choice voting again uh and that, that there was some you know remember some controversy around controversy around it even though it was probably totally legit um but yeah no she certainly isn't a, a subject matter expert in anything tech so uh m- most most politicians aren't uh, and don't come from that that world anyway um because they're just there's the skill sets that are required to win an election the skill sets that are required to uh keep information secure in a system like that um are just completely diametrically opposite <laughs> so you're never you're almost never going to see an engineer elected to office um you might see an engineer appointed to office and that has happened uh lately um but uh yeah almost never see one elected and it's not just because somebody's a computer engineer they're going to know about infosec right you get a software engineer no. of any kind they're going to be the first to tell you oh i'm not information security actually uh you know well, they, be, they might know more f- than the they might know more than the average bear, so to speak, about it, but they're Correct. they would immediately know what they don't know. Yeah, Correct. this is well, the, if you knew if go ahead. Yeah, if you if you knew the breadth of of like you know careers that you actually see in like local elected officials, um, yeah, that, that any any kind of knowledge uh, would be a vast difference between what what we have now and what and what's out there. So, and that's fine. Uh, that's different skill sets. I don't think that. It, yeah, completely. It's just not the worlds you see collide very often. It, I think it, it would benefit. I think we would benefit from having more engineers in public office, frankly. Um, but so we'll just have to get them, you know, more personable and give them the skill sets to get elected. Maybe pay them. The problem is, you can get the money. The money helps too, um, and the money helps in terms of getting them elected too. So just drop a whole bunch of money. You can get anyone elected. 
Although our, our least favorite San Jose mayor is a tech bro, so. Yeah, and he'd well, probably be the most likely to go out there and blab about it like he knows what the fuck he's talking about if it happened well, to San I don't Jose. Know, I, like most tech bros, I don't know that he knows much about tech, and he certainly was not educated as an engineer himself either. He's a, he's a tech bro. <laughs> well, All now right. we got to find out who needs to get their shit together, and it happens to be Oakland, but... Well, yeah, they they were too distracted by uh, if they're not distracted enough by the ransomware, they're they're finding out that their police department has some problems. No shit, really. Internal problems lingering at the Oakland Police Department. That is according to the Independent Monitor overseeing the department's reforms, and he is pulling no punches in his latest report, saying there are very serious questions as to whether the department can police itself. Our crime reporter Henry Lee is here now with the latest on this. Henry. Christina, this is Independent Monitor Robert Warshaw's first report since Chief LaRon Armstrong was fired last month. But this report makes no mention of the former top cop. Instead, it says the Oakland Police Department needs to change its culture. The problem that developed here, how could that have happened? You know, and that is people investigating their friends. Civil rights attorney John Burris says that's the key takeaway from the latest report by longtime independent monitor Robert Warshaw. His new report again criticizes the Oakland Police Department. It seems like this whole question, and I think Warshaw mentioned it, can you trust the police to tr police themselves? And that's always been at the centerpiece of where we are on this. Last month, Oakland Mayor Sheng Tao fired Police Chief Laron Armstrong, saying the department had bought investigations of Sergeant Michael Chung, who's accused of two cover-ups. Warshaw, in his first public comment since the chief's firing, praised the mayor and said he's concerned about where the department's going. In his report, Warshaw wrote in part, while the department has made unquestionable progress in its technical compliance with the NSA tasks, a myriad of cultural deficiencies linger. Chung, seen here with the chief last year, is accused of failing to report a crash of a police Chevy Tahoe in a San Francisco parking garage. He also allegedly fired his gun in a service elevator at department headquarters, then tossed the shell casing from the Bay Bridge. Chung is still on leave, but Wilson Lau, on leave? an internal affairs captain at the time, was dismissed last week from his current job as a captain with the East Bay Regional Parks Police. Jim Channon, another attorney monitoring Oakland police, says a recent poll of officers was telling that 80 percent of them think that discipline is handed out on the oak by the opd on the basis of who you know rather than what you did there's a hole in the ship and we can't keep going until that hook that hole gets plugged otherwise we're going to sink and of course, this ship still needs a new captain. Oakland's actively looking for a new top mm. cop. The mayor says she's committed to transparency and accountability. The federal judge overseeing the department will hold his next hearing on April 11th. Live in the studio, Henry Lee, KTVU, Fox 2 News. All right, Henry, thank you. Like, <clears throat> the culture of every police department needs to change. Yes, 100%. Um, so any, anything that can be done to shake it up is... is is great um but yeah uh see once again you're seeing the mayor kind of in a, a rock on a hard place situation or uh recognize the problem you're doing something about it but not moving fast enough possibly um for some people's taste uh but it may be moving too fast and for other people's taste and thus such is the nature of public service and, and local uh, politics and local politics, you're just, you're constantly being torn one way or another, and you, you get in bed with some very, you get, you find very interesting fellows in bed with each other, um, and fellas and, 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 and ladies and, and other peoples, uh, they, they all just get into bed and, and we don't know what's going to come out of it. You can, you can have NIMBYs 
and uh, environmentalists, you know, teamed up um, because they don't like a certain development uh, coming to a you know more uh, suburban area, shall we say, of town. And not for nothing, like when the police were pulled, they seemed even the cops seem aware of the problem that it's like a a good old boys club essentially. Yeah, funny, funny to see that. I mean, it must have been an anonymous poll, and maybe like ten people responded. But uh, good on the good on the eighty percent for being honest, at least. Um, and it, but yeah, it, hopefully they don't have any retaliation problems. Speaking so, of retaliation, well, let's move on to down ballot watch. Uh, like purely political stories are going to be a, a little, little fewer and farther between as we're between cycles right now. But we always find a little something, something. Looks like the new. Uh, <clears throat> DA district attorney for Alameda County is, uh, I guess might be facing recall. Um, we'll, we'll, well, we'll see what ABC no, news has to say about it. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like the, the, the initial dog whistle. Um, but we've seen all the signs before, so let's just check out what's going on. You actually felt that lives would be lost because of price being elected. I really did. And I hoped that I was being dramatic. I hoped that I was wrong. And now that her policies are playing out, I know that I wasn't. Price is shaking things up. With each passing day, I'm receiving new information about plea deals that favor criminals and leave victims of violent crime feeling like they haven't received justice. The court records tell the story. April 29th, 2018, a Sunday, 2 in the afternoon. Unlicensed driver Cesar Garcia speeds 70 miles an hour northbound 880 in a red sedan like this one. Speeds Dramatic 70 miles. Speeds 70. A car, sending yeah. it into the sound wall. Several people suffer serious injuries in the crash, including a pregnant woman who lost her eight-month-old fetus as a result. Garcia ditches the car in this parking lot and tries to report it stolen. Former Alameda County District Attorney Nancy O'Malley charged Garcia with felony leaving the scene of an accident and felony reckless driving with serious injury. But this month, new DA Pamela Price offered a deal. Garcia pled no contest to vandalism and got released with time served just one year in county jail. Pamela Price and her administration are putting criminal defendants, criminal suspects, before victims. Ten-year veteran prosecutor Charlie Weisenbach resigned from the Alameda County DA's office effective March 17th because, quote, I no longer feel capable of fulfilling my legal and ethical duties as a prosecutor under this administration. Victims of crime still do have some rights, and those are being ignored and flagrantly disregarded. And it's really sad and hard to watch, and I didn't want to be a part of that. And Price's handling of that hit-and-run case gets worse. I've learned through multiple sources the Price's office did not inform the woman who lost her baby about the plea deal or the reduced sentence until after it was done. The victim is devastated. Sources inside the DA's office tell me it's actually state law that a victim be informed about a coming plea bargain and have a chance to speak at sentencing. Neither of those happened in the deadly hit-and-run case that turned into a simple vandalism. Why was that the appropriate charge? What am I missing here? W. David Ball is a Santa Clara University professor specializing in criminal law and procedure. Pamela Price's own staff pointed me to him as someone who would defend her policies. And that's not a political anti-Pamela Price kind of thing, but that's one where it's like, yeah, why did you do that? Yeah, this victim, I mean, she felt bad about this. And I feel for her. Uh, she's thinking, I mean, our, my baby was only worth a vandalism charge. Yeah, right, right. That, that's a tough one. No, I think that I, I agree with you on that. 
I wanted to ask Pamela Price about this case and more, but she refuses to be interviewed, even after I caught her in an elevator at the Fallon Street Courthouse last week. My vision is to serve Alameda County as a minister of justice. After her oath of office in January, one of her first directives to all attorneys and staff, they must address her as Madam D.A. Price. We will be prosecutors who will use our power to change lives and not destroy them. She released this memo March 8th, instructing prosecutors to stop using sentencing enhancements, which bring higher prison terms. As she's saying, uh, we're going to get somebody on, on armed robbery. That's what we're going to charge them with. We're not going to charge them with a variety of other enhancements. Like a gun enhancement. Right, a gun enhancement, a gang enhancement, things like that, unless it's warranted. And, 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 and it has to be extraordinary circumstances. That is already impacting high-profile cases. David Mish is in prison for murder, but Price is throwing out special circumstances in a case with three new victims, including nine-year-old Michaela Garrett in Hayward from 1988. means that there is no additional punishment for the fact that he's a serial killer, by definition, um, and that he committed those murders, at least motivated in one or more of them by sexual assault. The parents of toddler Jasper Wu, killed by a stray bullet during a rolling gun battle in 880, are concerned Price will throw out gang enhancements in their case. And to just do it as a knee-jerk reaction without proper information is, I think, really sad for the family and I think can result in injustice and can result in more people getting hurt. Now, this is a pretty long clip. I think we got the gist of it. On yes, this, very much so. On the case that they highlighted, I just feel like maybe there's more to it than than the news and the, this uh, former prosecutor are saying. Because oh, on, yeah. on its face, the way it's being presented, it sounds ridiculous. Well, yeah, it's just it's to me again. This is an it's a not a nothing burger story. It's uh, folks who just don't like the new DA. They don't like justice reform. Uh, you know, minded uh, DAs like Chesa Boudin and. Uh, and they're looking to take him out. They saw Chesa get taken out. So this is just how it all started there too, right? It was a former prosecutor in San Francisco who quit the DA's office and said, oh, I'm not going to be a part of this administration, uh, but they're doing it all wrong. And look, these people are criming and killing and murdering and criming again because of Chesa Boudin's policies, you know, even though it's been in office for like two months. And that's pretty much where we're at with, with the situation with, with DA Price. So no wonder she doesn't want to talk to you, bro. Like, listen to this reporter. What awful journalism. He's completely, you know, sold against this person already and sold against whatever. And, and she, he's completely sold by whatever he's been sold by this nice, unassuming white lady. Um, and, you know, he's completely bought into it. So he's a completely biased reporter, too. That's the most disgusting thing about this is he's, he turns the camera on himself and he's like, yeah, I agree. This is, this is awful. You know, God, what a horrible person. I wonder why she won't talk to me, because I, I cornered her in an elevator. <laughs> you know, there should be, could be some procedural shit going on here. This guy kind of rolled on somebody. Yeah. 100%. Like, who fucking There's... knows, man? Who fucking knows? Yeah. And, like... So many things. Yeah, may, I mean, we may find out more about this, or we may just find out that this person gets recalled. I, I don't know. Um, I don't I don't. Oh, know. I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised if you start seeing petitions circulated... You know, uh, and not just because of this one thing. It's just a, it's just a reason. It's a reason to get on the news and to talk about it and to, to you know, rile up public opinion. So it's not really about this one guy or this one case at all. And that's the sad part. So up next, we have uh, Congressman Ro Khanna um, is going to vow to take action to protect the depositors at uh, SVB after like 
after like it was already made clear that that was going to happen. <laughs> right. But we need, we really needed to have a town hall. I mean, everything requires a town hall. So let's have a town hall. Well, they didn't lose their money in the Silicon Valley bank collapse, but they've lost their trust in the bank. That was a message today from nonprofit leaders and startup founders during a meeting with Congressman Ro Khanna. NBC Bay Area's Emma Goss spoke with the executive director of a South Bay nonprofit struggling financially since the bank's failure. I received about 100 texts and calls concerned about Silicon Valley Bank. Congressman Ro Khanna at his Santa Clara office Saturday addressed a panel of leaders impacted by Silicon Valley Bank's short-lived collapse and vowed to take swift action to protect depositors and ensure banks from future failure. When you ask who a lot of these thousands of companies and organizations were, these were the climate tech startups, these were the startups in biotech, and these were a lot of organizations that were actually serving the community. Organizations like Sunnyvale Community Services, which Marie Bernard heads. And we're on pins and needles. The nonprofit is a safety net for thousands of low-income families. <laughs> Part of its offerings includes providing fresh groceries to over a thousand low-income families each week. One out of 11 people they serve are unhoused. Now, of course, the fiasco of all of the, um, you know, the, uh, the fact that the bank was closed down and acquired and is under the management of the FDIC right now is um, very scary. And at that point, when we got the news about that, the first thought we had, our board, was what about our million dollars? The community organization took out a mortgage in 2019 to buy this larger office and warehouse space. They put their million dollar loan in Boston private. But in 2021, SVB acquired that bank and with it, Sunnyvale Community Services mortgage. Bernard claims that until the nonprofit can raise the funds needed to pay off the mortgage, that million dollars is trapped at SVB. Without it, they're struggling to pay their bills. That's what happens to our families, that some, an emergency comes in, their car doesn't work, they have a medical bill, and this was like that catastrophe happening to us. Thank God, um, and thank, thanks to the federal government. Congressman Khanna is currently drafting legislation that would require banks to pay an insurance premium, a measure that could protect banks and depositors in the future. Reporting in Sunnyvale, Emma Goss, NBC Bay Area News. So strangely enough, the funds that are going to bail out that bank are the result of banks paying what is essentially insurance already. Mm -hmm. There's a slush fund yeah. that happened after the crash in, I think, 2008. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> One of the regulations that came out after that was that uh, the banks do pay into a fund to bail out uh, other banks that fail. And that's where uh, I don't think all the money for this came from there. Obviously, some of it came from the FDIC, but some of the money yeah. came from that. So that already exists. And Ro Khanna is like way behind, way behind on this one. <laughs> like, we, it's we, no problem. You know, it, it, it's not, it's not, you know, <laughs> par for the, it's par for the course for a congressman. Um, <clears throat> you know, I like the businesses that their payroll account was there. A lot of times that's going to need to be more than $250,000. I think that's mm. all well and good that we bail them out and let them make payroll all well and good that we bail out this, um, you know, this, this charity, but there are, there were people in there. I saw them freaking out on Twitter. Uh, the, 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 uh, the usual suspects of uh, venture capital had their, had their money in there too. And I, I feel like, sorry, bud. Sorry, not sorry. Sorry, sorry David Sachs. 
Sorry, Sorry Peter. Well, Peter Thiel. Thiel. Peter Thiel might be responsible for the run on Silicon Valley Bank, actually. No, he's too busy being mayor of San Jose. Oh, that's right. <laughs> it's crazy because I couldn't actually find any uh, links between uh, uh, Mayor Ed 209 and Peter Thiel. There may not be, but um, I, yeah, I don't know if Peter Thiel was a contributor to uh, Facebook, but uh, Facebook certainly spawned causes that was uh, Matt Mahan's or, or ate up causes, which is Matt Mahan's original a uh, little endeavor. So, um, yeah, if he, if he had any role in causes then or Facebook, then he definitely had a, a piece or a stake in Matt Mahan's life and career. Yeah. We've, <clears throat> we've been kind of, uh, doing a little bit of a Peter Thiel kick on uh, the intellectual dollar tree lately too. Cause, uh, oh. he kind of uh, crosses paths with some of the public intellectual weirdos, uh, primarily mm. Eric Weinstein. I don't know if you know about him. He claims that mm. he, uh, unified mm -hmm. physics by himself in his spare time well he works for uh, teal capital and so uh, yep 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 except going the other galaxy brain yep yep and so <clears throat> you know we can trace a lot of society's ills back to peter teal and i really did want to uh, trace uh san jose's ills of evil evil beto back to peter teal and i was unable to do it well maybe it will reveal itself sooner or later who knows these things have a tendency to come out or maybe this bad thing that happened in Silicon Valley happened completely independent of Peter Thiel, which I'm sure he's very upset about. <laughs> Gosh darn it, I want to be involved in everything. I have FOMO. So, um, what do we have? Usually the and another thing story is... Anyway, what do we have for and another thing here? <laughs> <laughs> well, we were going to have an animal story uh, about how there's a nonprofit in Oakland that's trying to keep the fish in Lake Merritt from dying, but I thought that was a little morbid. So uh, we're going to talk about poop beer. Great, great. You know, look, we use a lot of water, even when we're doing our best to conserve. We often think of the suburbs, watering lawns and washing cars, but our cities use a lot of water, too. And as you're going to see, a San Francisco company is employing advanced technologies to turn entire high-rise buildings into water-saving machines. With the view from this San Francisco rooftop, you can actually see the future of recycled water. This is not theoretical. This is not something in the future. It's happening right now. It's happening here. It's happening in the chorus building where we're going to be operating that system. And it's also happening in a third building right on the other side of here. Aaron Tartakovsky is co-founder of Epic Cleantech. The company is harnessing the used wastewater from high-rise buildings and giving it a second life with a dizzying array of technologies. So we're taking that wastewater and we're turning it into clean water. We're turning it into high-quality soil amendments. And then we're actually turning it into energy. At the heart of the system, a control center that monitors everything from the amount of energy being saved to the amount of wastewater being recovered. Ryan Pulley is director of water reuse operations. We take water that looks like this as it comes into our system, and then we take it through our process, and it comes out this way. And while the company says the water is more than pure enough to drink, by state regulations, it's currently used only for applications ranging from toilet flushing to irrigation to cooling laundry systems. But the materials removed from the water itself continue on through the system. A thresher-like machine actually employs a chemical process to turn the solid waste that's squeezed from the water into an ultra-rich soil, all in the company's Poop. rooftop R&D facility. In about 20 Poop. minutes, convert it from a wet, smelly waste into a dry, odorless, pathogen-free product. 
that's actually amazing for plants. Samples are on display in the company's garden on site, as are toilet-shaped planters and other reminders of the closed-end strategy that the company says can help buildings reuse up to 95% of their wastewater. But rather than celebrating its early success, the company is using its own recycled water beer to demonstrate the possibilities ahead. We make beer out of recycled water because we're trying to change the conversation. We're not just trying to introduce new technologies. We're actually fundamentally trying to help people rethink how our communities handle water. With three major projects either completed or in the works in San Francisco, the company it believes their strategy is already at a tipping point. Oop. Later this year, California is scheduled to unveil new, updated regulations for what's known as direct potable reuse, for the first time allowing agencies to convert recycled water directly into drinking water. Cheers. Cheers. Or perhaps maybe someday, beer. Maybe. And the opportunity here really is enormous. Epic's co-founder Aaron Tartakovsky says that buildings worldwide use roughly 14% of the available potable water and very few recycle any of it at all. So that could change. That's a cool story. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I like actually don't, I don't have a problem with the recycled water. I no. like if it's been tested and whatnot and it's like indistinguishable from or possibly even cleaner than the water we're getting from the reservoirs then who the fuck cares i mean i sure it used yeah. to like because that water that you're getting from the reservoir was at one point in the water cycle uh probably touching poop no oh, absolutely and you saw he took all the poop out like he means like here's all the poop that was in your water and we can use this poop now to fertilize plants and you can drink the water and have beer fantastic Give me the poop water. We're going to have to... This is the number one thing we hear about uh, development uh, from the NIMBYs is, oh, there's not enough water. It's like, well, let's recycle the water. Let's oh, recycle everything. Those people would be freaked out, especially if they found out the poop water poop came from water. the big apartment building down the street. Oh, God. They'd be Mayor like, Ricardo I have to drink, drink the poop water. I have to drink the poop water of the pores. Matt Mayhem drank the poop water. <laughs> During the campaign, they all drank the poop water. So and they're all still here. All well, right. Well, you want to you want to read us out this week? Yeah, I never read the show out, so I'll read the show out. Everybody, this has been down Almost ballot. Never. We do the show now live every Friday, right before Conspiracy Bingo. If you don't know what that is, by the way, uh, join us live on Twitch, Twitch.tv/EchoplexMedia, because Conspiracy Bingo does not go out as a podcast because, as audio only, it would make no fucking sense. You can also find all of our other podcasts at echoplexmedia.com, and you can support this project uh, various ways at uh, eplex.store, including our new subscription via Fourth Wall. Um, shout out to Fourth Wall for all they do. I was very skeptical about my first meeting with them. This is uh, Audible Smoke Signal. This song is called Locals. And uh, I'll take a little break, probably play a couple songs, change the color of the lights in here, pour myself a cocktail, and when we get back, the dystopia beat. <laughs> To get the party started Pick up my phone just to check and see who's calling Dress up real nice for the ladies at the bar And I'm driving in my car just to get to where they are 
Here at the local scene is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette and I hold my drink I look at all my friends, they're all blazing greens Here at the front of the stage, waiting for FTV Where all those guys who standing next to me With a pipe in his hand, ready to blaze for me About five minutes later, we're all singing queen Now get the fuck up on stage, man, like the scene, yeah We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Enjoy that band I turn and head back to the bar For a refill, man, because you know where we are We're headed out to the car To smoke another one And another one Now just when the magic starts kicking in I hear we left playing And you know it's time to head in Alright everybody now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it and then pass it to me yeah. We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want What we want to do And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Enjoy that band Last up on the bill for the show tonight It's down and dirty in five So we're headed outside To spark up another joint Now who's got my lighter? Stoner E, of course Shouldn't you be inside? I'm all up in this bitch Being who I gotta be I'm fucked up like the US economy The truth is is that I don't Now inside motherfuckers is rockin' me And outside shit we smoke a lot of broccoli Rockin' the rollie, all that sexy girl be jockin' me Ain't too drunk to fuck, but I'll probably do it sloppily We do what we want, what we wanna do And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Dance with the band and enjoy the band We do what we want We want us to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band.
All the goth DJs and Twitch witches are hanging out on Thursday for the bad VHS rips, unblinking eyes, and fire by night. Thetans and Satans comes from an interest in the cult of Scientology, moral panics, Satanism, and how they set the tone for the extremist social media panics of today. We really earn our weird left Twitch badge with this show, watching the world go red light in reverse every Thursday at 9 p.m. Pacific on twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com.